Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Gospel of Mark chapter 6. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we begin a relationship with Him. It's what we do. When we surrender our lives to Christ, we begin a living relationship with Him. And uh, we, we do that not just to be forgiven, though He does forgive us. How many here are really glad Jesus forgave your sins? <laughs> okay. Glory to God. And we, we do so, we, we begin this relationship not just to avoid hell or escape hell and attain heaven. We also begin a relationship with Him to do His will. It's one of the reasons why we come to Him and begin this, it's to do His will. He has a plan, a purpose for us, and we want to do what He wants us to do. Doing His will may mean going across the globe, like our friend just shared. It may mean going across the globe, but it also may mean simply going across the street or across the office to share Jesus with someone. And as you'll see here this morning, here in Mark chapter 6, it may mean going across a lake. Jesus was with his disciples here in Mark chapter 6. He was with his 12 closest followers. He is near, let me kind of set it up a little bit. He is near on the shore, one shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is a large inland lake many miles north of Jerusalem. This, this event that we're about to read immediately follows when Jesus took uh, a meal that was meant for one person and he miraculously fed thousands of people with leftovers besides. Uh, I want you to understand the time frame here. That had just happened just a short time before, in fact, uh, just maybe minutes or, or at the most hours before. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52 read this way. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after Jesus had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea. Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. He went to pass by them, but when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. We just read there in just a few verses this, this account that took place here on the Sea of Galilee. But to better appreciate this account, you, you have to understand that this was not the first time that Jesus directed his disciples to go into the boat and go to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. If you've been with us for some, for some time, you know that a few months ago we looked at another reference because Jesus did the same thing back in Mark chapter 4. Near the end of Mark chapter 4, on that occasion, 
The Bible records that Jesus was this time with them in the boat. He directed them to get in the boat, but then he got into the boat with them. He was very exhausted. He fell asleep in the bottom of the boat. And as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, under his directive, an enormous storm blew in. It was a storm that was so severe, the disciples were fearful of losing their lives. And some of them were some of them were fishermen, people who were accustomed to open water, but they were so fearful of this storm, they were fearful of dying. And again, perhaps you remember the story. They woke Jesus up, they told him what was about to happen, and then it records that he, he spoke to the storm, he quieted the storm with just a few words. And so here they were again, what we just read, two chapters later, Jesus again telling the disciples to get into a boat and go to the other side. I can't help but wonder as soon as they did that if a couple of the guys looked at the horizon to see if there's a storm coming. Because that's what happened last time. So he told them to get into the boat to go to the other side. But there's some differences between the, the account in Mark chapter 6 and the account in Mark chapter 4. Verse 45 that we just read says Jesus sent the disciples ahead of him. He did not get into the boat with them. It also says that he dismissed the crowd. This is the crowd that he had just miraculously fed um, just, just a, a, a small amount of food, uh, five loaves and two fish to, to overflowing. Uh, uh, he dismissed the crowd and the Bible says there in verse 45 that he went to the mountain to pray. Now, this was not an unusual thing for Jesus to do. Prayer was essential to Jesus. It was, it was a connection with his Father. But Jesus, who was always very intentional, I believe also had a greater purpose in directing the disciples on ahead of him. I believe, I believe that Jesus sent the disciples on ahead without him because he wanted them to learn to trust him even if he wasn't with them in person. You have to understand the time frame here. In about a year, Jesus would ascend into heaven. In about a year, Jesus would not be with them in person. In about a year, he would entrust them to do things, and he would not be there physically. His Holy Spirit would be there. His Holy Spirit would be with them, the Spirit of Christ, but he would not be with them in person. I believe that one of the reasons why he said, you guys go across, I'm going to pray, is he wanted to prepare them to trust him, even if he wasn't there, in person. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, for, now let's bring it down to you and I. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, he still stretches us. He will direct us, and regardless of how long you've been serving Jesus Christ, He desires to direct you into new challenges. He desires to stretch you in new ways. He desires to give you bigger assignments. You heard our guest just a few moments ago, how, how she shared how as a, little, as a little child, God put it on her heart. He didn't give her everything. There was a lot of stretching that happened, and, and there's a lot of stretching to come. It's how he does. He continues to give us bigger things, more sometimes challenging things. Verse 47, I want you to please notice that the time is recorded. It says, when evening came, when evening came, the boat was on the sea. 
when evening came, the boat was on the sea. Let me explain that. Back in their day, because this is, this is actually um, quite significant, but we can very easily overlook it. Back in that day, um, the nighttime hours were divided into four segments. It was um, first the Jews did it, and then eventually the Romans kind of incorporated the same kind of a thing. The time was, the night was divided into four different segments. They were called watches of three hours each. The first watch, which they referred to as evening, was from hour 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. That was, so, so we know what time it was. This was after the evening meal. Everyone had been fed to overflowing. The, the, the leftovers were collected. Some of them maybe were put in the boat or sent home, and, and it's what you do. And, 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 it was, and now it's somewhere between 6 o'clock and 9 o'clock at night. Jesus tells them to get into a boat, and he goes off to the mountain to pray. It says, at that time, between 6 and 9, that verse 48 says, Jesus saw they were making headway painfully because the wind was against them. Now remember, Jesus, again, was on the, the mountain praying. Um, and with that higher vantage point, you can see a lot further, of course, from a mountain. But at that time, somewhere between 6 and 9 p.m., it was still light enough, and he could see them from some distance. So I want you to picture this. Here's Jesus. He's gone to the mountain to pray. The disciples get in the boat. They get halfway across. Jesus, from the mountain, looks down and sees them, and it sees them. They were painfully making progress. Another translation says they... They were, they were laboring hard. They, they, they were straining at the oars. And he saw this. He sees this. Straining at the oars. He sees the wind against them. He sees the wind and how the boat just hardly moved, if at all. He saw that. Also, I need to point out that this was not a life-threatening storm, like the storm a couple of chapters earlier. This was not a life challenging storm or life-threatening storm where the waves were bigger than the boat and where the people thought were about to perish. It was a stiff wind, it was a hard wind, but it wasn't so big that they were fearful of dying. This storm was, this storm, instead of being a life-threatening storm, I refer to it as a life-wearying storm. It's the kind where you're working hard, you're straining at the oars, you're into the wind, but it seems like you're making little or no forward progress. And let me tell you something, those can be some of the worst and hardest storms. You ever been in a, don't raise your hands, but have you ever been in a place like that? Figuratively speaking. Have you ever been in a place like that, or maybe you are in a place like that, and you're working really hard, and, and you're trying to progress, you're trying to move forward, you're trying to get off where you have been for some time, and you're, you're giving it everything you've got, but it seems like there's just this constant wind against you, and there's this constant pressure, and it doesn't matter how hard you row, you just feel like you're, you're not going anyplace. You ever been there? Now, This is a storm that he told them to go into. They were there on the Sea of Galilee because they were obedient. Now that kind of messes with us a little bit, but I, I need to point that out as well. They were, they were facing this stiff storm. They were going no place, because not because they were disobedient, but because they were obedient. Now, 
let me just add here, there are some storms that we can go through that we can bring ourselves. Don't raise your hands on this one either, but, but, but have you ever done something really stupid and suddenly faced a storm that was of your own doing? Oh, yeah. And you go, wow, boy, I don't want to do that again. This is a stiff wind. But sometimes, kind of like Jonah, remember that couple, uh, many years earlier in the Old Testament, Jonah, he faced a storm not because of his obedience, but because of his disobedience. That's not this kind of storm. These guys are out there because they were obedient, because they, Jesus said, get in the boat, go to the other side, I'll meet you on, or he didn't say I was good, he said, I'm going to go to the mountain to pray. They were there because they were obedient. Maybe like the disciples, right now you are in a stormy place. Because Jesus directed you there. Maybe you're in a difficult place where it seems like nothing is happening. Maybe you're in a place right now with no forward progress. You feel like you're stuck in the middle. You feel like you're straining at the oars. You feel like the wind is against you. And it's hard. But what makes it sometimes even harder is you're there because God told you to be there. Because he's the one who told you to do this. Because you're facing that conflict because he told you to go to that person. Well, that's tough. And that's where they were. Partway through verse 48 is a turning point. And I want you to see this. Partway through verse 48 is a turning point. It says this. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the water. Now, you may be familiar with this story. The problem is we can become so familiar with it that we forget just how awesome that must have been. Jesus, let me say it again, was walking on the water. Jesus was defying gravity. We cannot walk on water. We can walk on ice, but you can't walk on water. He wasn't walking in the water. He was walking on the water. It must have been an awesome thing to see. Put yourself in that position. You're in the boat, the wind's blowing, you're, you're rowing, and, and it's, it's now dark, and, 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 and all of a sudden you look and you see Jesus walking by on the, on the water. You have to understand, for two years, the disciples have been with Jesus. For two years, they've seen him do a number of things, but there, there's no record of him ever doing this before. This was awesome. But I have to point this out as well. Instead of responding with worship, like, would you look at that, guys? Is that a wonderful Savior that we, that we serve? Look at Jesus. He must be God. Instead of re- replying with worship, they, their response was terror. And instead of recognizing Jesus' divinity, they defaulted to superstition. They said it's a ghost. By the way, there's no such thing as a ghost. There are no such things as ghosts. There are demonic spirits, but when you die, you go one place or another. You, there is no such thing as a ghost. But they, they defaulted to their superstition. It's a ghost. How else can you explain it, they thought. Not worship. Not awe-inspiring glory to God. Superstition. Sometimes I have seen people See the awesome work of God in someone's life. Something that only God can do. 
I'm still, I'm still thinking back a couple times a week to that wonderful display of people up here a couple weeks ago with the placards, and this is where I was, and then they flip it, and look what God has done. Do you know there are still people in, that, that those people know who still dismiss what God has done in their life? I've heard people say, zebra can't change its stripes. Well, we're not zebras. Jesus can change us, and he does. Wonderful miracle. Jesus changes a, a mind and a body, and he heals a body and a mind, and he delivers people from all kinds of things, and some people dismiss it. Or they say, God doesn't do those things today. I don't want to be, I don't want you to be, I don't want me to be like those disciples who go, oh, I can't understand it, so it must be a ghost. When we see God do an amazing thing in our life, even if we don't know that person, even if we don't understand the whole story, may we give God the glory for what he has done. Look what God has done. When we see a, a miracle happening, don't default and go, well, you know, those things stopped in the first century. Don't do that. Give God the glory for what he's doing. Power of God demonstrated. Again, the disciples were terrified. But Jesus said to them, verse 50, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, if you remember back in chapter 4, in that other storm when Jesus was in the boat, they woke him up, it says he spoke to the storm. Peace, he said to the storm. Peace, be quiet. This is different. This time, instead of speaking to the storm, he spoke to them. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. One of the most frequently stated or written statements in the Bible is fear not. And I'm just going to throw this in here. I believe that fear is epidemic and that there are more people who are giving into one kind of fear or another and you need to get a hold of that statement. In fact, you may need to put it on a piece of paper or some cardstock and stick it in an obvious place. And you need to get, let just, in, in your storm or whatever storm is on the horizon or whatever storm just blew through, whatever thing is causing you to fear, you need to get a hold of this. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Put it in quotes and then after that say, Jesus. Because the storm that he spoke, excuse me, the people that he spoke to who were in the middle of the storm, he still speaks the same thing to you. And some of you have been giving over to fear again and again and again. I'll tell you what, if you, if you give in to fear, you'll never go across the street. You'll never go across the, uh, the lake. You'll never go across the globe. You won't do anything if you give in to fear. But God is greater. And Jesus can set you free. It then says Jesus climbed into the boat. The storm was silenced. The wind ceased. 
and together they arrived on the far shore. How many here this morning, how many with a raised hand, now you can raise it, how many with a raised hand are very thankful that in the middle of your storms, Jesus can climb in your boat? Come on. Glory to God. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the times that he stepped into my boat and calmed my storms or given me peace in the midst of them even if the storm continued. Now, let me tell you something. We could call it good there. End of story, end of lesson, end of message. But there's one more thing that I want you to see. It's very important. It's very important, but you can miss it. Maybe you did. Maybe you caught it. It's in verse 48. Maybe you noticed it. Verse 48. It's the time. It's the time. Remember how I said that they divided their night into four segments of three hours each. Four three-hour segments. That means the first watch began at 6 o'clock, the second watch began at 9 o'clock, the third watch began at midnight, and the fourth watch that it mentions here, the fourth watch, (coughs) when Jesus came to see them, was sometime around 3 o'clock in the morning. See what that means? That means that Jesus saw them in the first watch, in the evening, that's what the first watch was called. He saw them sometime between 6 o'clock and 9 o'clock. He came to them not minutes after he saw them straining at the oars, but hours. You think about that. says, in the evening, he looked out from his vantage point and he saw them straining at the oars, the wind against them. First watch, six, seven, eight o'clock. But it wasn't until three o'clock in the morning that he came near them. Now that can really mess with some people's theology. It really can. I've I've had more discussions than I can count. People who people who believe that their struggle or their pain or their discomfort or their storm demands an immediate deliverance by Jesus. Let me say that again. The people whose theology this messes with are those who believe that their pain, their discomfort, their struggle, their storm demands an immediate response by Jesus. That their struggle or their resistance or their pain cannot and should not be a part of his plan. How can a love, and I've heard it like this, how can a loving God Allow me to go through such a painful process. How can a loving God, a compassionate God, I hear all the time, God is love. How is it that this loving God will allow me or my loved one to go through this difficult, painful process? They believe it so strongly that when Jesus does not deliver in their preferred time or method, they come to the false conclusion that Jesus does not care 
or that he no longer involves himself in our challenges. Well, let me tell you something. For the record, Jesus does care, and he is intimately involved in the circumstances of our lives, but for whatever reason, sometimes he delays his answer, sometimes he does not get in our boat, sometimes he allows us to go through the storm because he has a greater purpose and a greater plan for what you are going through to shape you into the trusting person that he wants you to be. And that's hard, and I don't like it. I'm with you. When I, it's maybe not so much me, but when I see someone close to me going through something, I'm going, God, how long is it going to take? This wind is so strong. The resistance is so hard. I feel that they're, they're so tired. They've been straining at the oars. And they don't seem to be, <coughs> excuse me, making any progress. But God has a plan. See, I want you to see this. Taking some time with the whole timeline here. I want you to see that for many hours that night, those disciples rode hard into a stiff wind. For six, seven, eight hours, they were rowing hard into a wind. But for all of that time, at the very same time, for many hours that night, Jesus was praying. Jesus was looking down. He knew that all he had to do was walk down, walk across the water. He could do that. He's God. But he waited. And he prayed. Prayed for his followers. One more verse that I want to give you. It's from a different book of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 7 Verse 25, it says this, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. We know of what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit. But it also says right here that he lives to make intercession for us. Right now, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. What you're going through, he's praying for you. He's not forgotten. He's not overlooked you. He's not ignoring you. He's not dismissing you. He sent you ahead, but he's watching you. And I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know what he'll do to do it, but if necessary, he'll even send somebody to walk on water, I suppose. He'll do whatever it takes, but he'll do it in his time. You and I are called to stay faithful. This morning, I want to pray for those who are right now in a storm, not of your doing, but you're in a storm because He called you there. 
I want to pray for those, that person or those persons who are really tired right now, really tired right now. And you feel like just saying, you know what, I'm going to drop the oars, I'm going to go with the flow, I'm going to, I'm just going to take wherever the wind takes me, I, I, I quit. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God, who sees you and is praying for you right now, Jesus is seeing you and he's praying for you right now, that you will, in his strength and the power of his Holy Spirit, that you will continue to row, that you will continue to do what he's called you to do, and that at the right time, in the right way, and in the right place, he will come in and he will speak to you that peace, and he will quiet the storm, and you will get to the other side. Some of you need to hear that. You will get to the other side. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, for my brother or my sister who is in such a storm, I don't know how long you will have them go through it. I do, however, know that you are praying for them. I know, Lord, as many of us do, that the hardest time of the night is usually about 3 o'clock in the morning. It's when little things become really big. It's when challenges seem to multiply, expand. Sometimes it's at 3 o'clock in the morning when people give up. They stop doing what you've called them to do. Not these, Lord. Please, Lord, not these. But my brother or sister however many there are who are in such a storm, would you through your message today, through the, your word today, this well-known but maybe overlooked parts of this story, this well-known story, would you through this, would you speak to lives today? Would you give them the encouragement to keep rowing, trusting you, that you will come and that they will get to the other side safely? Pray this, Lord. Pray this for that man, that woman, that young person, that group of people. I pray for them. Help us to do your work and your will. It's one of the reasons why you saved us, Lord. Again, not just to forgive our sins, not just to get us out of hell and into heaven, but to use us. Oh, there's great things to do on the other side, and you're preparing us and you're shaping us. Would you help us? as we continue to row and we continue to trust. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand with me, please? Just a moment, we're going to dismiss. Give the opportunity to greet each other. As always, these altars are open. I love being a part of the family of God. I really love you guys. So grateful to be uh, walking this journey with so many of you. And, grateful for 
the storms that God brings us through. Our guest is going to be in the foyer. And again, these altars are going to be open. If you just want to come and spend a little bit more time with the Lord, just say, Lord, that's me. Help me through this storm. These altars are open. Please, please know that these altars are open. Lord, now as we make our way out of this place, we thank you for what you've done. And we thank you, Lord, for better preparing us and shaping us and getting us ready for what's ahead. Again, Lord, I pray for all the persons here, but particularly those who are in a storm because you've called them there. Thank you, Lord. Use us this day. Use us this week. May we love you with everything in us. May we love others, Lord, because of the grace that you've given us. And may we share Jesus Christ with the world around us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.